John chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 1. I'm just going to read through verse 15, and then we'll come back to it. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed over to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. And then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. And when he looked up and he saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus took the loaves, and he gave thanks, and he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted, and he did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. And so they gathered them and filled the baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves that were left over of those filled the 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who was to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. I read verse 15 on purpose. It's here. This, this miraculous sign that Jesus performs is one of, if not the only one that's recorded in all four Gospels. And it's in all four Gospels, so it's important. But John has told us the purpose of this letter that he wrote. He said, it didn't say that he wrote this letter to exhaust all the things Jesus ever did and said. He didn't do that. But he wrote this letter. These are written, he said, chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. He said, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and believing that, you may have life in his name, on his authority. 
And I'm emphasizing verse 15 this morning because I want you to catch that. We just talked in class about chapter 5. And, and each, of these, each of these narratives he gives us about Jesus, each of these miraculous signs that he explains to us and describes to us, they tell us something about Jesus that's offering us, offering us reason to trust him. It's offering us reason to give our lives to him. It's offering us reason... to do whatever he tells us to do. And most of all, it's offering us reason that we might open our minds and our hearts to him. Jesus knowing, they've drawn a good conclusion. This is the prophet who is to come into the world. That's the one that Moses prophesied about. That's the one that Moses said, Deuteronomy 18, is coming. And when he gets here, you better listen to everything he's ever says. You better do exactly what he tells you to do. They're drawing a conclusion. That's good. But Jesus, John's already told us earlier, knew what was in a man, and Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, they've decided that he is the Messiah, he's the one who is to come, and that they can force that. You can't force it. You can't force life through his name. You can't force God's purpose. You can't force God's kingdom. You can't force the reign and the rule of Jesus in your own life. Much less, let alone, the life of somebody else. You can't force Jesus on anybody. God's the only one with the power to do that, and he has chosen not to do that. He lets every man decide. We get to choose. We can choose to be blessed by who he is. We can choose to see him as he is. We can choose to listen to scripture and let it describe him as he is. And we can choose to dwell on that. We can choose to act on that. We can choose to live out of that. Or we can choose to dismiss it. Appreciate the moral instruction, Jesus. We're just going to force the issue. You're not going to force God's issue. We're not. I'm not going to take all the information about Jesus. Glad for the information, Jesus. You're powerful. Now I'm going to force it. You're not going to force it. You have all the correct information about Jesus you want to. You're not going to force a cotton-picking thing. It won't happen. And so I say that to say, even with things as far as worship, you know why we interrupted worship to pray just a minute ago? It's because what we're thinking about. I mean, chapter 4, notwithstanding, when we just a week or two ago talked about, Jesus is king over distance. He healed a guy. He healed the guy's son 
20 miles away. Does that tell us something about Jesus? He is not defeated by some distance. I'm, I'm picking on a physical. It's a long way. Wasn't your son in Tennessee, brother? I don't even know how. It's a long way to Tennessee. You think that matters to Jesus? You think he's not there in that situation? I know, I know what I want. I want for him to be well. What I wanted was for him not to be hit by a car in the first place. Nobody wanted that. But we lived on a cur we live right now on a cursed earth since Genesis chapter three. And sin brought that upon the world. We live on a cursed earth. People make mistakes. People do things maliciously and wrong and bad things happen to good people on a regular basis. And when those things happen to us and in our family and in our lives, it's not scheduled. We're not forcing this worship service. You can't. Oh, we can. Okay, go ahead. Hope you enjoyed it because it's like firecracker. As soon as it's over, it's done. We're not forcing the worship of God. We're not forcing the kingdom of God. Nor are we setting God's instruction about worship. God's got lots of instruction about worship. We'll get there. But we just, we just read in Bible class the story where Jesus, this guy, is lame. He's lame. He can't do anything. He's lame, and Jesus healed the guy. Do you want to get well? I don't even think the guy really wanted to get well. Jesus doesn't ask arbitrary decisions that don't mean anything. He asks questions that have a point. And if the guy's not, he didn't ask that for no reason. John doesn't record it for no reason. Do you want to get well? The guy's got all kinds of excuses of why he can't get well. The preacher preaches too long. People always cut me off. I just hadn't had the time. Fill in the blank. In spite of that, the light of Jesus shines into the darkness, and the darkness can't overcome it, and Jesus heals the guy. And the only thing the most religious, the leaders, the religious leaders of the day are there, and the only thing they can do is gripe because something they had scheduled got interrupted. That was something they had scheduled according to God's command. You healed a guy on the Sabbath. John doesn't go into that detail, but, you know, Matthew does. Do you think God invented the Sabbath for man or man for the Sabbath? I mean, this was their covenant. This is real life. Jesus just declared who he was by what he did. And they're worried about a worship service got interrupted. That's what the whole Sabbath was. Supposed to do two things on the Sabbath. Jesus are deny theirself and worship God. Not change people's lives on a dime forever. Not produce solid evidence that you're the son of God in the flesh. Not give people hope. Not see they're, they got the cart in front of the horse. That's not going anywhere. 
And then on the heels of this, we have this story. This great crowd of people are following Jesus. Well, I guess so. Look at what he does. He does things no one else can do. He keeps bringing life into every situation. He's interested in people nobody else is interested in. Doesn't that give you some hope? This guy's been lame for 38 years. I don't really know if it's his own fault, but he hadn't gotten anything done in 38 years. You ever feel defeated by wasted time? Do you ever feel like you're lame spiritually, emotionally? You ever feel like you're paralyzed spiritually or emotionally? This story's in here for you because Jesus is king over that. He didn't care how far away somebody is, emotionally, spiritually, or geographical location. We can stand right here in this spot. Do you see God is calling us? When he's calling us into Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, he's calling us into what is greater than the darkness around us. He's calling us out of a temporary situation. He is calling us into one who is eternal. And when you are eternal, then you are bigger than space and time than distance and time. And math people tell me those are connected. Actually, they're kind of the same thing. This is the call. These are not just some stories to entertain us. John didn't write this to get published. He's trying to bring light into darkness. He wrote this letter to the church, and he wrote this to letter to the church so the church would never forget where it is that you get your life. Because you know what? In the middle of life, life happens. No, it does too. And there's not anybody in here that's old enough to understand what I'm talking about doesn't know that. There are things happen on a regular basis, and you know what? You are not in charge of them. You're not in charge of how long they last, how deep they go, how much they cost. And God interjected himself into the midst of that and said, here I am. Here I am, the eternal one is offering himself to us in Jesus so that when we run across things, I mean, these people are, these people are tired and hungry and they're war smooth out. This is, this is not a picnic. These people need something to eat. You know, Bill and I both had a snack yesterday before we got to the picnic. That's not what's going on here. These people need to eat. Bill and I both could have, we could have just skipped the picnic yesterday and would have been, and then my wife brought home leftovers, good lands. When you get in a situation in life and what you got is basically nothing, I don't know anything really that we eat littler than, than, Sardines, so I'm always referring to these fish as two small fish as sardines. You know how big sardines are? Two of them ain't going to do anything. Hardly for that little boy. But I guess you could smear them real thin over these five 
uh, barley tortillas he's got here because that's what their bread is, just flat like pita bread or a tortilla. And it, that'll tide him over, his mama thought, evidently. And Jesus just interjects light into this situation. What you have is basically nothing. You ever feel like you've got nothing? You ever feel like the energy you have, you could put it in a thimble? You ever feel like the knowledge of God or scripture that you have, you could put it in a thimble and it just roll around all in there? You ever feel like the words you have that you could offer somebody are just going to amount to nothing? You ever feel like your life is amounting to nothing if it's everybody else's fault or it's your fault? You ever feel like you've been in a hole for 38 years and you're not sure that you want to get out of it? Maybe you're afraid to get out of it because you've become accustomed to the darkness down in the hole. You ever feel like the sardines and the tortillas you got are not going to do anything for the multitude that needs him? Interject Jesus into that situation. No, that's what this is. That's what this is. I, don't, I, I, I am convinced that this little boy never gets over this happening. We worry so much about what we have. And the only thing we need to, when we start trying to figure out what we got, the only thing we need to really add up is Jesus. Have we got him? Do we love him? Do we trust him? Whatever it is we've got that's inadequate, are we going to bring it to him? Because let me tell you, when he starts blessing it, God himself is revealed and God's purpose is accomplished. I appreciate very much the family here. I appreciate your genuine spirit. I appreciate your concern for each other because you're not playing. And the world may count that as sardines and tortillas. Fine, mark it down. But brothers and sisters, we have opportunity to bring those sardines and tortillas before God and for Jesus to bless them and feed the world if he so chooses. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we love you, Father, for who you are. No one has ever seen God, for you are God Almighty, and you are Spirit. But God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, your only begotten Son, he has come here to this place, and he has put on flesh, and he has made his dwelling among us, and we see clearly, Father, how you are. And you are not strapped or frustrated or defeated by any of the things that overwhelm and defeat us. And distance and quality and sufficiency and amounts. And all of that means absolutely nothing to you. 
because you are greater than all of it. Jesus has come here and has publicly demonstrated and given evidential proof that he is king, absolute king over it. And in him, Father, we are brought to you powerfully, intimately, and practically. Because of him and his identity, Father, we will not be left in discouragement or frustration or defeat. We will, Father, in him, be able to accomplish your purpose. We are, Father, in him redeemed. We thank you for that. And I ask you, Father, to help us to understand how practical Jesus is, how sufficient that Jesus is, and that he is behind and he gets the absolute credit for the love that we have for you, for the faith that we have in you, and for the love and concern, Father, that we have for each other. Now, we didn't think this up. We didn't force it. It came straight from heaven itself, and it abides here today in our hearts and in our minds and in this place because Jesus offered himself and intercedes with his own blood in our behalf now. Glorify yourself, Father, and your people as we go forward in this life to, to serve and encourage, to teach, to lift up, to heal, to bind up the brokenhearted, Father, to help those that are far away to come near, to help those, Father, who are literally starving spiritually, that we might share with them, Father, the food you have shared with us, and that it might satisfy their souls. Father, glorify yourself in the relationship you have created with your people in Christ Jesus, and especially, Father, my prayer is that you do that in this family right here, right now, today. And then our lives going forward, Father, glorify yourself. We thank you for hearing our prayer. We praise you for being a God who's answered it already according to your will. And that's the very thing we've always wanted. It's through Jesus who died for us, bled for us, and intercedes in heaven with that blood right now on our behalf. We pray these things. Amen. The Lord God Almighty did exactly what needed to be done. He came here to give you the right to become his child. Jesus came to that which was his own, and his own would not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, and his power, his authority, his identity, he gives the right to become children of God. If we can help you become a child of God, if we can just help you be a faithful child of God, if we could just love on you, encourage you, or help you in any way, if you need our help in a public way, you can let us know right now while we stand and while we sing.